The following shiur is presented by Dayan Shlomo Cohen, Dayan in Beddin Ahavat Shalom in Yerushalayim, an author of Pure Money. For more shiurim or information, please visit vshc.org or call 1-844-200-TSHC. That's 1-844-200-8742. Hello everybody, I'd like to talk to you today about Parashat Nitzavim. And from Parashat Nitzavim, we're going to get involved in the whole question of any contradiction that there is, which there isn't one, between science and religion. It says in our Parsha, this commandment which I'm giving you today, which is the commandment to follow the Torah, to go in the way of the Torah and to believe in Hashem. It's not in the heavens. It's too far. It's too difficult for us to do. No, it's not. Veloma ever I am he, and it's not over the seas. Lemo miya volano et ever I am vi kreelanu. Viashmienu tavenasena. No. Kikarov elecha hadava. Me od. Befichu belevav chalasato. It's very, very close to you. In your mouth. In your heart to do it. What's the Possek telling us here? The Possek is telling us that to become close to Hashem, to believe in Hashem, and to follow all the mitzvahs of, of a Kodesh Baruch Hu, to follow the Torah, to lead a Torah life, is not so difficult. It's something that everyone can do. And this poses a bit of a question. We know that one of the 613 mitzvahs, one of the Tariyad mitzvahs that we have, is to believe in Hashem. We have an obligation to believe in Hashem. But if we look at the world, we see that there are so many people that don't believe in Hashem. And they seem to us to be intelligent people. They seem to us to be people that even know more than we do in many different cases. Sometimes they're doctors, sometimes they're professors, our teachers, and they don't believe in Hashem. So how can you expect a 13-year-old boy or a 12-year-old girl the age when someone becomes obligated to keep the mitzvot, how can we expect them to believe in Hashem? And how is this posuk relevant? Ki karov me'od. It's not difficult. If it's not difficult, then why are there so many people in the world that don't? There's a famous story about a priest that came over to Rabbi Akiva Eger. And he said to him, in your Torah it says that you're supposed to follow the majority. 
We're the majority. The non-Jews are the majority. The Christians, we're the majority. So you should all be like us. Said Rabbi Akiva Eger, when do we follow the majority? When we have a doubt. When we don't have a doubt, we just follow what we know to be the truth. When we have a doubt, we follow the majority. But when we don't have a doubt, we follow the truth, even if it's the minority opinion. Right? And this is something we don't have any doubt about. That's what Rabbi Kiva is saying to answer this priest. So, how is it that we can expect our young child to be so solid in his faith that when he looks around at the world and he sees that all sorts of people that he may respect, intelligent people, people that people of the world, and they don't believe in this. And we have our Apostle telling us, It's not difficult. It's not far away. You can do it. You can get to this understanding. Really, to understand the creation of the world, to realize that a Kodesh Baruch who created the world is not difficult. Whenever you look at something that's been beautifully made, complexly made, works beautifully, like a Swiss watch, you would never dream that it was created by itself. If you were to see a Swiss watch, a Rolex watch, lying in the middle of a forest, so would you say to yourself, ah, how did this watch get here? Maybe someone put it here. Or maybe not. Maybe over millions of years, volcanoes erupted, deposits, billions and billions of years, and this... Rolex watch was created. If you said that, we'd all have you locked up. Why? Because it's clear to everybody that this is something that was created. Why is it clear? Because it has order to it. Something that has perfect order didn't make itself. The human body is so complex Such a complex thing, made up of so many different moving parts. Much more than a Swiss watch. A human eye is more complex than a Swiss watch. And that's just one little part of a human being. So, if we would all understand that the Swiss watch that's lying in the forest wasn't, was put there, and didn't just create itself, So why is it that we can't understand the same thing with a human being? That it must be that he was put here. And all nature, where look, we see, on the one hand, we see our Swiss watch lying in the forest. On the other hand, we look at a tree next to the Swiss watch and we're going to say, oh no, but that tree created itself over millions and millions and millions of years. But it created itself. It came out of nothing. A tree. A tree is more complex than the Rolex watch. A a blade of grass is more complex than the Rolex watch. 
And yet the Rolex watch we all know was created by somebody and the blade of grass growing in the forest, we're going to say, came by itself. Come on. Doesn't make any sense. People talk about a contradiction between science and religion. There's no contradiction. They are two totally separate subjects. Religion isn't involved in how the world got here. Yeah, the Torah tells us at the beginning of the book of Bereshit, in 20 psukim, how the world was created. 20 psukim. If you go to the, to the biggest library in the world, you can find books piled up high, hundreds and thousands of books written about how people think the world was created. Our Torah just tells us a quick story. One, two, three, four, five, six. That's how the world was created. It doesn't go into details of what happened and how it was done because that's not the point. That's not the point of religion how the world got here. The point of religion is why the world is here. Why are we here? What are we doing here? What's our job here? That's what religion is about. Science is about how we got here. Not why we're here. So a contradiction between science and religion is just not possible. So does that mean that I believe in evolution? Does that mean I believe in the Big Bang? No. Look, when our Torah says that in seven days the world was created, six days it was created, on the seventh day Hashem rested, does that mean six days like we understand six days? 24 hours, the time it takes for the, for the, um, for an orbit? Is that what it means? No. Not necessarily. Maybe it means six billion years, six trillion years. I don't know. And the truth is, it doesn't make any difference to me. What difference does it make to me? If I want to study the how, yeah, I'm going to study that. But if I want, I'm interested in the why. I'm interested in the why I'm here. So, how I'm here, Okay, I don't know. Maybe like this, maybe like that. I'm here. What do I do now? That's what religion's all about. Not about how I got here. But maybe, yeah, I mean, on the first day of creation, there wasn't even a sun and a moon yet. So how was that exactly 24 hours? I don't know. Ella, it could have been anything. It could have been 20, it could have been a billion or trillion years. I don't know. And... Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was seven, maybe it was six days of creation. But let's imagine if you were to walk into the Garden of Eden on the first day of creation, after everything was created, and you were to chop down a tree. So, would you find inside rings? First, first grade biology, right? When you chop down a tree, they've all got rings inside them for each year that the tree grows. You can tell how old a tree is by the amount of rings it's got inside of it. 
So if you chopped down a tree in the Garden of Eden, how many rings did it have inside? None? I don't think so. I believe it had rings inside it. Because the world was created in six days with age. Was there coal in the Garden of Eden? I'm sure there was, even though the scientists will tell you what coal was created. Forests, fires, volcanoes, pressure of rocks and molten rocks on top of it, that's what created coal. But when, if, create, if Hashem created the world in six days, was there coal on the first day? Yeah, there was, because He created it with age. There are animals that live off rotting other animals, rotting, and rotting plants, and rotting animals, scavengers. Were they, how did they survive on the first day when everything was brand new? No one was, there was nothing for them to live on. How could you have decomposing uh, logs for beetles and different things like that to live on? There was nothing decomposing on the first day. It must have taken a long time before that would happen. I believe they were all there on the first day because Hashem created the world with age. So that's not a problem. So there is no contradiction between science and religion. The two of them are on totally separate paths. There are so many examples of things in nature which if we look at, they testify to Hashem. They testify that something must have created them. And they couldn't have just happened by themselves. If you were to take a bottle of ink and spit it on a piece of paper one time, what are the chances you'd get a picture of a Mona Lisa come out? A beautiful Mona Lisa like Leonardo da Vinci made, painted for us. What are the chances? One in a billion. If you were to keep pouring that ink a billion, trillion, trillion times since the beginning of creation until today, do you believe that one time, one time, it would come out as a Mona Lisa? You don't believe that. Because however many billion and billion and billion of years may have gone past, nothing that's got any order to it would ever come out of total disorder. I heard in National Geographic about an ant that they discovered in the Sahara Desert. This ant has a little hole, he lives underground in the Sahara Desert, and every now and then he comes out to look for food. And when he comes out of his little hole, his little hole is no more than, you know, maybe like, not even half a centimetre wide. He comes out and he goes around looking for little pieces of something. And he walks in a zigzag passion, fashion. He goes off in a zigzag fashion. An irregular zigzag fashion. And he looks around and when he finds something... He picks it up in his, in his mouth and turns around and goes back in a straight line to his hole. Now remember, we're in the middle of the Sahara Desert. There's no signs. He can't say, oh yeah, my hole is just next to that tree or just next to that plant. There's nothing there apart from sand. So how does he find his way back to his hole? For years, scientists were flabbergasted by this ant. How does he find his way back? 
If he was leaving a scent, then he would have to come back in as the same zigzag pattern as he'd gone in. But he doesn't. He turns around and comes back in a straight line to his hole. If he misses his hole by one degree, even less than one degree, he's going to miss it and he's going to go wandering off in the desert and he'll be lost forever. So he has to be exact. And none of them ever seem to get lost. They've been watching these ants for years and none of them get lost. Someone had the crazy idea that maybe they're navigating themselves according to the sun. I don't know if even the top Israeli Air Force pilots can do that. But this ant can do it, maybe. How did they find out? What did they do? They did an experiment. They took two groups of these ants into a laboratory and one set of them, they allowed to build their nest and carry out their life underneath the sun. And the other group, they put in a laboratory situation where they were living their lives and there were mirrors deflecting the position of the sun or artificial light that there was so that they would never know exactly where it was. It would be confusing. Lo and behold, all the ants that were underneath the sun never got lost and they always found their way home. But the ants that were in the other one where the, there were mirrors deflecting the real position of the sun they all got lost. They noticed that every time these ants, when they're going on in their uh, diagonal positions, before they go off in a new direction, they stand up on their back legs and they look up at the sun or at the light. And so it must be that they are navigating themselves by the sun. Isn't that incredible? What's the size of the brain of this ant? If you were to take a, a piece of thread and tie a knot, that's about the size of the brain of an ant. And it's got enough understanding in there to be able to, to, to analyze situations and to analyze the position of the sun so it doesn't get lost. Wow. That's incredible. How did it get that knowledge? How did he get that understanding to navigate by the sun? Come on, guys. That didn't happen by itself. That was a chokhmah, a piece of wisdom, wisdom that was given to it by the Creator. <clears throat> there are so many examples like that of things in our world that we just can't understand if you try and imagine that they were created by themselves. The evolutionists themselves can't imagine it. They're always changing their minds and changing their opinions as to exactly what happened and exactly how it happened. I remember when I was a kid, when I was a kid, the evolutionists were talking about the missing link. The original Darwinian theory was that people started off um, as monkeys and slowly, slowly, they started standing up and becoming more intelligent until they became human beings like we know them today. Of course, how they got to being monkeys, that, <laughs> that's, that's, too, that's too easy to explain, right? But anyway, from a monkey to a man, that's how it happened. Slowly, slowly, over the billions and billions of years, 
They'll even show you pictures of it, right? How these men suddenly started standing up and becoming upright things. But there was a problem. I remember this as a child. There was always a problem with that theory, that if that's true, then it should be that there's millions and millions of skeletons of people that are half ape and half human. And that doesn't happen. They never found them. That's what was always called the missing link, right? This half monkey, half man that was in between a monkey and a human being. Where is he? Where were all these things? Where were all these people? There should be millions of them around. But all they ever found was skeletons of monkeys and that's skeletons of human beings. They never found the in-between, the missing link. I remember once it hit the front pages of the newspapers when I was a kid. They found the missing link. They found a skeleton of a guy that looked like he was half an ape and half a man. And everyone in the world was in shock. I remember it was on the front page of the Daily Telegraph, if I'm not mistaken. And in the end, you know what they found out? It was a human being with arthritis. It was a normal man with arthritis, and that's why he was all bending, bent over. That was the missing link. I remember we were, you know, you know, school children can be a bit cruel. We have a guy in school, we used to call him the missing link. <laughs> because of the way he looked. Ah, this is the missing link. Anyway, school children's jokes. So, that's what the Posuk here is telling us. Um, that it's not far from you. I've lost the Posuk now. Lo he. It's not difficult for you. It's simple. Just look at the world. Just open your eyes. And to see and believe in Hashem is the easiest thing in the world. So why? Let's try and understand. Let's have some understanding. How can it be that there are so many intelligent people that don't believe in that? By the way, I meant to say that, you know, they, they, the evolutionists abandoned the idea of slow evolution, that things change slowly, 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 and they came to a new theory because they never found the missing link, that things changed in jumps. It happened in jumps. That means that a monkey gave birth to some the creation without any hair, like we had, like human beings look to us today. And seeing as he was fit and strong, so he survived and he had more children and that's how humans came out. That's what the theory of evolution says today about how humans came about. They were like, it was like a mutation. All creations in, in all, all evolution today is not slow, um, transformation, but lump, leaps. It cha- happened in leaps. That, uh, a monkey gave birth to a human being. A, I don't know, one type of fish gave birth to a different type. And because it was strong and had good DNA and had good good uh, qualities, so it managed to survive and carry on reproducing. And its DNA got stronger and stronger. Just because the DNA of a human being has got some similarities to the DNA of a monkey or of a, or of a fish or of a shark or a whale doesn't mean that... We came from the same thing. Doesn't mean that. 
It could have been DNA is a general thing that a Kodesh Baruch Hu used in all his different creations. Anyway, what I wanted to, wanted to get back to saying was, um, why is it then that there are so many intelligent people that des- don't necessarily believe in evolution, it don't necessarily believe in the Torah and Hashem that he created the world, which has become like, unfortunately, become even fashionable not to believe in it, um, because they don't want to believe in it. Once you believe in Hashem, you have an obligation. If there is really a creator above us who created all of us, once you accept that, then you can't just do what you like. I'm not saying you have to necessarily keep all the, the Torah, but you have a responsibility. You're not Hefka. You can't just do what you like. And that's why people don't want to believe in Hashem. Because they don't want to have to believe that they have to be responsible to somebody. And that they're going to have to maybe even give account to somebody for different things they've done in their lives. They want to be able to do whatever they can do. If you want to go to the beach and have a barbecue on Shabbat, go and have a barbecue on Shabbat. There's no, no one's going to tell you not to. Because the natural instinct of people is that they want to be free. And they don't want to be obligated to a creator. That is the, 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 the bribe that is blinding people that they can't see what's clearly in front of their eyes. Just like I said, you see a Rolex watch in the middle of a forest. How did it get there? Either someone dropped it or it was put there. What do you think? No, come on, really. Everyone knows it was put there. Okay? That's what the Posik is telling us in Itzavim. It's not difficult. Put away your bias and make an intelligent decision. And it's something that's very clear to everybody. This audio series has been brought to you by the Sephardic Halakha Center. The center is committed to advancing research and application of Halakha in the Sephardic community nationwide. For a Halakha consultation, monetary Beddin services, to order this series or to sign up to receive the Sephardic Halakha journal, or for all other information, please call one 200 T-S-H-C or email info at the shc.org to subscribe.